You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 13 engines of war book review i am as always one of your hosts jason hunt but this time i am not joined by my companion through podcasting time and space paul gann because he's moving um he'll be back next episode but this episode i've got a great guest host somebody that i've met at phoenix comic-con a couple years ago Uh, her name is molly welcome to the show molly hello Dalek minions. <laughs> <laughs> Exterminate. Exterminate. <laughs> oh, so uh, we have a fun show for you. We I've been reading a bunch of Doctor Who novels, uh, and one of which is Engines of War, which features the War Doctor. Um, I believe it's the only novel so far to feature the War Doctor, which makes it somewhat unique. Yes, um, I, th- I think I, I read something somewhere that they were they were working on another one or going to put another one out. Um, I'd have to double check on that. I'll get back to you later. Awesome, awesome. But before we jump into the book itself, uh, we wanted to set a precedent with our guests. We have a couple of questions that we're going to ask each of our guests as they come on the show. And Molly, congratulations, you get to be the guinea pig. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the William Hartnell of guests. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. I love it. Oh, I'm going to have to remember that for our next guest. It'll be Patrick Trout. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it just has to be a space hobo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, first question. Um, how did you get introduced to Doctor Who, and what about the show kept you coming back? Well, it was... Probably I, I had friends through high school just bugging me, you need, you need to watch this, you need to watch this. And, and I've never really been a huge fan of sci-fi. I've been more kind of on the fantasy side of things, Harry Potter kind of things like that. Um, but then I had dated a couple of guys that were just really into the show and just kept bugging me to watch it. And after I kind of parted my ways with them and... Um, I had seen bits and pieces of Tenet's episodes, I believe, like Creature from the and the Cybermen episodes. Um, and my, but, <laughs> sadly enough, my first full episode 
was the end of time part one. Oh. Bad place to come in. Bad place. And so I, midnight, I'm on Facebook. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and so basically spent, spent the next week just trying to at least catch up to a reasonable point that I kind of understood it. Um, and then subsequently just kind of, you know, once... Um, I got caught up in it, caught up in Matt Smith came along and it just kept going from there into Torchwood and, and classic and eventually the extended universe of the books and, and onto my, my big thing. And the, the doctor who fandom is big finish. It's, it's the thing I will always champion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, and it's part of, it's the community too, you know, that I, I'm part of AZ TARDIS and, which is one of the largest uh, cosplay trading groups in the nation now. We're almost up to a thousand members. Oh, nice. And so going to Phoenix Comic Con and Tucson Comic Con, and um, I've gone for three years, and I'm going to Long Island Who in November. It's it, it's a big family. As it, essentially, what it's become for me. Nice. It's it's so much beyond the show. Right. Right, I, I I definitely know a lot about that. I'm I'm sort of getting into that aspect with with Doctor Who, but um, as as I've told you before, and as anybody who's listened to the show probably can tell, um, that's the way it's been with me for with Star Wars. And since I have a Star Wars podcast uh, that's been going on for a while, um, I'm much more versed in the Star Wars community than I am the Doctor Who community. But I'm eager to learn. Um. <laughs> 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 All right. So, uh, next question is going to be, you know, everybody has to ask the question, who is your favorite doctor? And if you want to, to make it easier, you can split it up, uh, favorite classic doctor and favorite new doctor, if you want to do that. Well, I mean, as, as I've said, that I, that I started out with Tenet. Tenet was my first doctor. I, I still love Tenet, but... My heart will always belong to the the Doctor Paul McGann. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, you know, while there's only now two um, television appearances, there's so much in audio and so much of the books, and he's he's like ten, but with even more depth. He's a complete smartass, but at the same time, he's he's fluffy and he's wonderful, but he can be dark as hell. And and to be perfectly honest, he is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. So that that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lucky you've got to meet Paul McGann. Uh, yeah, that'll be my fourth time in November. I'm not a fangirl at all. What are oh, you talking no. about? <laughs> oh no, no. And, but you've met multiple doctors, haven't you? Yeah. Um. That basically all the living classics except Tom Baker. Hopefully, getting to the UK before, unfortunately, we lose him. But I have, but I have, I've met um, Colin Baker three times, um, Sylvester Sylvester McCoy a couple of times. Um, I've only met Peter Davison once. Going to meet him again at Gallifrey. But they're all just really great guys. We call them the boy band, and, and basically, <laughs> if you mess with them, you're going to have to deal with me. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I would love, love to meet any and all of them. Particularly Sylvester McCoy. He's kind of 
kind of my second favorite. Ba- Tom Baker's my first. He's, so he's he's a ball of something. He's, he's uh, I was at a convention in Houston, Texas, a couple of years ago, and some idiot gave Sylvester the keys to the golf carts, and Uh-oh. so yeah, he almost ran over me twice. <laughs> Playing his spoons the whole time, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more question uh, before we jump into the book. Uh, who is your favorite companion? And uh, as with the previous question, you can split it up. Classic companion, new companion, if you want to. This one, this one I do kind of have to have to split up. That um, I, I went into it... Um, end of the show before I get into classic I love Rose I'm, I'm a big 10 Rose shipper I will admit that but <laughs> <laughs> um, but then going into classic I love Ramona she, she's because she, she doesn't put up with the doctor's crap at all <laughs> you know and, and also being a time lady and, and not so much being de- dependent on him and very much being able to hold her own and she really was the first one, I think, Leela did, but, but to a certain point, I think because of the whole savage, quote-unquote, thing, <laughs> maybe she still was was under his wing a little bit, but Ramada just took no flack from him, and I, I love that. Yeah, no, Ramada's great, and uh, my co-host Paul, is, I believe, other than K-9, I think Ramana is his favorite companion, and he's a looking looking under every rock to hoping and praying that Romana is coming back in the new series. Uh, <laughs> so. So, same with same with me. I, I think one of one of the many people who are under the assumption that, that um Maisie Williams has gotta be Romana. Maisie Williams has gotta be Romana and and screaming at the television uh, the episode they revealed who River Song was. She's gotta be Romana, she's gotta be Romana and then it just turned out to be a whole big let down soap opera Stephen Moffat thing, but that is a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, I I would love it if Maisie Williams was, was Romana, um, but I'm I'm really trying to not get my hopes up with that. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Knowing how the, how the new series is operating right now, I'm not putting too many bets on that. Right. Right. Okay. Um, oh, this wasn't on my notes, but uh, I figure, what the heck? Uh, do you have a favorite Doctor Who villain? Uh, oh, I, and um, Paul Bradford from Ghost Hunters International that he told me literally this: "You are high," because I said that Planet of the Spiders was my favorite classic episodes, and I love the eight legs. And I'm sorry, my dog is squeaking Dr. Ways in the background. Um, <laughs> <laughs> named, named Lucy after Lucy Miller, the companion. Uh, <laughs> nice. But there's, there's something about giant mutant intelligent spiders that's kind of cool. Maybe it's just because I'm a country kid and, and we're into that kind of stuff. But <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that, but I love the fact that it's it's not just you know the same old same old so uh congratulations for being yeah. original <laughs> <laughs> well 
Slovakia. Jo, you're welcome, you're welcome. Spoilers. Right. Uh, well, I guess I guess we can get into the book here. Uh, before we jump into that, I'm just going to read the blurb that they have on the back cover, uh, just to get all of you listeners uh, ready and eager for the book. Uh, the Great Time War has raged for centuries, ravaging the universe. Scores of human colony planets are now overrun by Dalek occupation forces. A weary, angry doctor leads a flotilla of battle TARDISes against the Dalek stronghold. But in the midst of the carnage, the doctor's TARDIS crashes to, the, to a planet below, Moldox. While the doctor is trapped in an apocalyptic landscape, Dalek patrols roam among the wreckage, rounding up the remaining civilians. But why haven't the Daleks simply killed the humans? Searching for answers, the doctor meets Cinder, a young Dalek hunter. Their struggles to discover the Dalek plan take them from the ruins of Moldox to the halls of Gallifrey and set in motion a chain of events that will change everything and everyone. <laughs> so, that is uh, the little blurb to get us into Engines of War by George Mann. Uh, this book was copyright... 2014, I believe it came out in July? Yes. Yes, I think so. Yes, um, the TARDIS wiki tells me so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, before we get into specifics, overall impressions of the book. Oh, by the way, you listened to this book on audiobook, correct? I, I did, and it's uh, because... You know, it is the Daleks, and it's, of course, got to be narrated by Nicholas Briggs, who voices the Daleks in, in the new series. Nice. And, and um, to my listeners, I apologize, but I'm going to let one first word slip here. That at the Big Finish podcast at Gallifrey this past year, Nick Briggs talked about recording this, and the particular phrase that he used, trying it into the... Of, of John Hurt and trying to get the voice down was what a exterminate Dale lovey <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry my, my invitation is absolutely horrid but <laughs> nice nice so um, overall impression of the book um, or audio book as the case may be for you uh, did you enjoy it uh, overall impressions <sighs> That um, I, I have mixed feelings over the War Doctor in general. That because I am such an avid Eighth Doctor fan, and a lot of us believe that the Time War was and was meant to be fought by the Eighth Doctor, and have Paul McGann and a lot of the big finish stuff was written to set up for that. And then when ah. the, when John Hurt was thrown in there. A lot of us weren't happy, and then God bless John Hurt, he's great, but I've, I've still got my feelings that it was it was meant to be McGann, and I, and I still think with some of the writing in this book that I think that it was, it was a little bit of that image of the War Doctor, but it still read very Eighth Doctor to me, uh, you know, with some, some of his quips and some of his darker moments. 
Um, but at the same time, that that with his lighter humor stuff, um, and maybe some more of the internal conflict, that it did change my mind a little bit. Am I completely turned around and completely in support of the War Doctor? No. Is it making me a little more tolerant? Yeah. Um, I think the book was a little bit slow at some points. I think particularly the beginning with Moldox and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think once getting into Gallifrey and kind of getting into my area because I'm a big Gallifrey history nerd. Nice. Was, was it picked up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is like when Barusa shows up. Crap's <laughs> going down, man. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, overall, I I think from a perspective of getting more information in the time war, it's great. Um, in general, eh. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you are perfectly entitled to your opinion. Everybody is, so. Uh, my overall impression is... It, as someone who is not uh, well-versed in the Eighth Doctor um, at all, uh, basically I've got uh, the Eighth Doctor movie, the little short before the 50th, and one book that I have read um, of experience with the Eighth Doctor. Uh, and so I, I would love to get into the big finish stuff, but I know that us. <laughs> uh, but I know that I will be penniless for many, 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 many years if I do. <laughs> so and considering the fact that I am trying to basically accumulate as many of the DVDs as I possibly can right now, it's between uh. it's between the the big finish and the DVDs. So um and the DVDs are winning at the moment. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never fear, I will I will get to big finish eventually. Uh it's not going anywhere. No. no. Um but uh as someone who has no bias against the war doctor, uh because I don't have the, the attachment that you do to the eighth doctor, I, I felt it was pretty good and I felt um there were specific points where I was like, ah, that is definitely you know, they definitely caught his character and his mannerisms. Um, there were a few points where I was like, well, that's, you know, not quite the war doctor, but, you know, I guess it's okay because the doctors had, you know, eight personalities before this. So, you know, different ones are going to bleed through, you know, eventually. But uh, I think Moldox, I, I will agree with you, Moldox was a little slow, uh, but it did set up a lot of ground. And once we got off of, Moldox, uh, things picked up quite a bit. Um, yeah. And it was basically a, a roller coaster ride to the end. Uh, I would say that the overall tone of the book definitely felt like two or three episodes of the show. Uh, in, in most points. Um, but, you know, I don't know if that's just because. I have a very vivid mental imagination when I read, and I'm basically, you know, filming the movie in my head as I read the book. Um, but I, I felt like it definitely could have been a couple of episodes of the show. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it, it definitely even, um, at least 
two to three parts, kind of maybe Muldocks being almost like Utopia, leading into what would be um, Sounder Drums, Last of the Time Lords. Um, mm-hmm. Or even to the point where it would be like the classic series being a serial of, of four to six episodes or box set and big finish. And like, I think that it was set up well to that point. Um, again, it, it just kind of dragged on a little point in some points where I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> then, you know, you get distracted by something else and you're just kind of skimming. You, right. you want to get to the meat of it. Right. So basically, the Doctor is is part of the Time Lord army at this point, sort of, you know, as as much a part of the Time Lord army as the Doctor will allow himself to be. Uh, he's leading a bunch of battle Tardises to the Tantalus Eye, which is of course taken over by Daleks. It's the Time War, of course. Daleks are everywhere. Uh, the Tantalus Eye. How would you describe it? It's it's basically like this big. Neb- time rift nebula thing ish am i <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's kind of um basically i would explain to someone who maybe maybe unfamiliar would be kind of like the medusa, medusa cascade on on a, on a larger scale um i think almost it it seems like this was portrayed as maybe part of or just maybe a different way of of phrasing the Eye of Harmony, maybe, is kind of what I got out of it. Okay. Yeah, it's... You can tap into some sort of temporal energy with it, and it's it's red and yeah. weird and powerful. Yeah, when they, and they talked about Omega, and, and, you know, that's definitely where the Eye of Harmony comes in within Gallifrey history and stuff. Um, that That's where it's at least pre... Uh, the TV movie and into the TARDIS is that it was essentially, you know, um, kind of a special being that, that TARDIS is fed off of it or whatever. It wasn't necessarily inside the TARDIS, and and I am not quite sure <laughs> those comes into things, but <laughs> I digress. But essentially, I get that this is essentially at least part of the Eye of Harmony. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the Doctor and the fleet that he's helping to lead get ambushed, and his TARDIS uh, gets damaged and basically just nosedives down onto the planet Moldox, where he almost squishes uh, a, a young uh, woman rebel fighter who's got herself a Dalek gun stick and is shooting Daleks uh, named Cinder. Um what did you think of Cinder as a companion for the War Doctor in this story? I, I think at the beginning she got she was a little wishy-washy, but I think certainly once she gets established with the Doctor, she she's very almost like Romana and can hold her own. It's that she's like, okay, are you sure you want to do this? Here are you know almost the reprogression. Excuse me. Um, repercussions of what's going to happen. Are we really, do we want to die doing this? You know, there's <laughs> and there's a great moment at the end that I love that it's almost um, an expanded thing of um, what a companion feels later on in their travels with the doctor. It's like, okay, things can be changed. Something can be done in this universe. You know, she talks about 
you know, that they're not just fighting this pointless war against the Daleks and, and that they're just trying... Essentially, killing the Daleks is almost just trying to keep the invasion down in pest control. <laughs> um, that it is worth fighting and that maybe something can be done for the greater good. Right. Uh, but she's not very pleased to to see the doctor when she finds out that he's a time lord no no it's it's certainly not the not the reaction that Cass had the night of the doctor mm-hmm. but no she's not um pleased with him she's like okay i don't like you but it wasn't quite i don't want to say Cass was overly dramatic but, but she kind of was <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd rather die than get in your tardis oh Okay, that can be a race. Fine, I'll take Pomegan to myself. And- <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the doctor... Back to the book. <laughs> yes, the, do- the doctor has to uh, wait for the TARDIS to basically, I guess, recharge or repair itself before he can leave. So he ends up tagging along with Cinder to find out what the heck this new Dalek weapon is. Uh, is because Cinder was out on an ambush mission with somebody else. But the doctor picked that somebody else up on his scanner, but she has no recollection of this person after the Dalek shot him. And we later find out that basically the Daleks are experimenting with the TARDIS wiki calls it a, a temporal cannon, which basically... If you're hit by this temporal cannon, it wipes you out of history. Completely. You never existed. Um, right. And it's, it's essentially, um, you know, uh, as with a lot of things with the Time Lords and the Daleks ripping each other off for technology, <laughs> which we'll get into later, which the Time Lords do. Um that there, there's something, um, I am not, I am completely blanking on the name of it, I'm looking it up right now, but there's something very similar to what the Time Lords have that was eventually banned during President Romana's presidency, um, that essentially, out of punishment, that these people are basically eradicated out of time, which leads to the events and, and Zagreus and stuff, but, oh, I, I'm forgetting the name, but it's, um... I'm forgetting the name of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. Forgetful May. But but yeah, the, and then to sidetrack a little bit. The, speaking of scary monsters, the degradations. Holy crap! Yes, uh, we run uh, into some Dalek degradations, no. and and there are some really. Uh, let me. I'm trying to find where it describes which ones. What we've got here. Um... We've got two gliders. Uh, have we seen the gliders in the show? Am I thinking? Correct? No, we haven't. Okay. Um, the scarrow degradations were mentioned at the end of time, mm-hmm. um, where Ten is rambling on to the master. You know, you weren't there at the last days of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we didn't see the gliders. Okay, uh, then. I'm just thinking of the Daleks in their little, like, gun pods that they fly around and some of the other things. Uh, some yeah. of the, okay. Okay. Not the same thing. Just wanted to double check. But there's two glider Daleks, which basically they fly, 
there's a spider one, which is kind of creepy, because it's like, and I'm trying to remember exactly how it described it, but it's, I think it's basically like the top half of a Dalek with a bunch of spider legs, and it's really fast and agile. Kind of freaky. Uh, yeah, what aren't there, isn't there like part of, it's like a human body suspended in some kind of fluid with, with, the, with the legs or whatever, hanging off the glass bits of the tube or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're that was no. They're really Ugh. creepy, and uh, and then of course there's the um, the one that's got the the temporal cannon, and it's basically a, a Devastator Dalek that we saw in uh, Remembrance of the Daleks with Sylvester McCoy, uh, the Seventh Doctor. Just a new cannon, I suppose. So, uh, but the Daleks uh, here on Moldox. Not only are they experimenting with this new canon, but they're basically creating these degradations out of people because they're lesser beings and cannon fodder, and it's not really Daleks, so we don't care. Um, and, uh, reference to the Sixth Doctor's uh, Dalek story with the, the glass Dalek shells with the humans inside being turned into Daleks. Yeah gross. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like halfway in between like full on dog and, and robo men. Yeah. Not not good. Um so of course the doctor and Cinder have to completely wreak havoc at the Dalek prisoner base there and stir up trouble before they escape. But there's not unless I'm wrong there's not really anything else to terribly important that happens on Moldox that we need to cover. Am I correct? Uh... There was there was kind of the it was it was more just a sidetrack thing of oh, I'm forgetting names. It's Jocelyn um, um Oh Jocelyn Harris, the governor. Jocelyn Harris, thank you. yeah. Uh, Jocelyn Harris and kind of the meetup with the rumble group and stuff with coin and stuff. I think those were wasted characters almost. Like I feel like more you could have seen more with them, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because you know we get uh, a little bit about Finch, who was the the rebel that uh, Cinder was on the the ambush mission with, and I thought he was going to play a bigger role towards the end. You know, she would finally have, you know, some way she'd be able to remember him and that would, you know, trigger all sorts of weird things. And But it it didn't Kind of off. have an Amy Rory moment, yeah. Yeah, it didn't really pay off. It, it was like, and she forgot him and it was sad. That's kind of how it left it. So, you know, it, it, it didn't have the impact, the, the, the come back around impact that I hoped it would. And the rebel group just sort of sat there on Moldox. They didn't do anything. The Doctor and Cinder did more damage to the Daleks than they had done in their entire existence in one afternoon. So, you know, um, it was... Yeah. I was like, well, that could have yeah, been that was, more. Yeah, that was that was kind of where it was losing me at Moldox. I'm like, okay... <laughs> Let's let's move on to the meat of this. Yes, let's let's get off Moldox. Uh, Cinder has decided that she's gonna tolerate the fact that the, the Doctor, well, the man who used to be known as the Doctor, 
because he's not calling himself the doctor. I I do remember it was funny. Uh, she asked, "Well, what what's your what's your name? I don't have a name anymore." Well, what did they used to call you? I was used to be called the doctor. Fine, doctor. What are we gonna do now? <laughs> she basically. Have you ever find a man who used to call himself the doctor or something to that point? Yes. Yeah, that, that was another thing. It was like. Okay, it was focusing on a lot of, yeah, he's still the doctor, but he's not. And it's like, uh, we, can we choose between war? Because I had imagined him in the war really as a warrior, unless maybe as the doctor. And I think he was still trying to do that. I think that may be just the fault of the writing here. I don't know. Yeah. But she decides to, to deal with the fact that he's a Time Lord because he can take her off-planet, and she wants to get off of Moldox, no questions asked. She is tired of living there and wants to see the galaxy and escape the Daleks. But, of course, the Doctor can't really escape the Daleks because he has to go to Gallifrey because the Time Lords want him to do more stuff. And he has to tell the Time Lords about the new temporal canon. Um, and we get into a whole bunch of stuff here where the Doctor basically has a, a new adversary in the Time Lords with a character by the name of Carlax. Rassilon shows up, and he's not exactly right in the head. Um, he never was! Right, they should never have resurrected him for the Time Lords, because he's, he's horrible. Um, did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. Um, he's a horrible, horrible human being. It, Time Lord. He's not a human being. Um, anyways. Shame on you. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the Doctor insists that something has to be done, and, of course, the Time Lords do what they do best, and that is dither. Um <laughs> I, I really don't understand why the Time Lords are still the, the supposed to be the high pinnacle of races in the universe if all they do is sit around <laughs> and dither. Um, I think the Doctor is single-handedly keeping them in that spot. <laughs> well, I mean, just to some point that, that, again, this shows a lot of stereotypically what you're going to see in the show, and I feel like maybe in the books, if there are more of the War Doctor and stuff, that needs to be expanded on a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, that, yes, the Time Lords are complete <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, um, but, but there are ones that do have their head on straight, like Romana, yes. and do want an and Narvin and Alfrey series um, Braxia fell to a point, but that is a whole other <laughs> discussion. Um, <laughs> but then, but then you look at the at the Big Finish Gallifrey series, and it's there's so much more going on. It's it's like the West Wing in space, as Gary Russell had put it. And there's so <laughs> much more to Gallifrey that I think that um, hopefully by the hints that we've gotten from promos and, and leaks and things, that hopefully maybe in future. We'll be seeing more of Gallifrey, and we can see that. And I think RTD tried to do some of that. I think, yeah. especially with with actually seeing the High Council in, in, in session and seeing Asalon and expanding a little bit more into 
Gallifrey and can or rather just having adventures running through corridors on Gallifrey is <laughs> the classic series a lot of the time. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the the plan that Rassilon basically comes up with uh, to deal with the temporal cannons is uh, they're going to use this, this weapon called the Tear of Isha to close the uh, Tantalus Eye above Moldox, and, which will basically wipe out Moldox and all the other planets in that uh, star system. Uh, basically a typical Rassilon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, of course, the Doctor doesn't want this at all, but Rassilon is kind of set on it. Um... But things get even creepier when the Doctor follows Rassilon into the death zone where he's got his secret, like, Rassilon cave? I don't know what you would call it. Um, it's it's his secret dungeon. And he's got um, an old friend of the Doctor's all uh, wired up to something. Uh, we get... Uh, Barusa back. And for those who don't know, <laughs> Barusa uh, was a, a Time Lord who was a friend of the Doctor and then tried to uh, gain immortality at the expense of the Doctor during the classic series. And he was given his immortality by Rassilon in the 20th anniversary special, The Five Doctors, by becoming a, a stone statue on Rassilon's mausoleum, basically. Uh, in the death zone in Rassilon's tomb. Because, you know, the Gallifrey and the Time Lords aren't pompous enough. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But apparently, in the interim period, Rassilon has pulled Barusa out of the, that stone... Uh, stasis, basically. And he's got him rigged up to something to turn him into, what was it, the, prob the possibility engine. And Barusa is basically in constant flux between his past and future regenerations. He's constantly changing. And he can see all these different things in the time vortex and can basically predict all sorts of different futures and possibilities. Um, of course, the Doctor keeps throwing random, you know, elements into that possibility because he is a random element. But, uh, Barusa, what were your thoughts about his return, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate his return as much as Rassilon. It's like, oh, I it doesn't need to punch Rassilon in the face, but but Barusa, it's like he's he's like Snape. He's like one of those villains you love to hate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was it was good to see him back. That that even in that capacity, you know, maybe not quite maybe the way he was scheming and, and whatever, and being more of a device. <laughs> right. I I think I think it was almost wasted, but at the same time, it's like. Probably, if he was in his full capacity, things would be a lot, a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird. Of course, you know, 
I'm sure he's in a lot of pain because he's constantly regenerating, and that's, you know, basically rewriting every atom in his body constantly over and over and over and over. And over. That's got to hurt. Um, but my gosh, I did not expect, you know, I, Time Lords are almost never completely dead because there's always some way you can resurrect them. But yeah, but um, this was not the way I expected a Time Lord to come back. I, I mean, I did and I didn't. Um, you know, I wasn't. I didn't think I would see Bruce again because that you know I thought he was dead, dead. You know, there are, there are a few of them that are like that, but at the same time, um, you look at Morbius the way he came back in McFinish with with one tiny little fragment of his brain and a big <laughs> bottom of a canyon. So it's the world of Doctor Who. Somebody's going to find a way around it. Right. Right. But uh, Rassilon basically says, well, the possibility engine, you know, a.k.a. Barusa, says that you know, using the tear is the only way to stop the Daleks from completely wrecking havoc with this uh, temporal canon, and we need to do this no matter what the cost is. And of course, the Doctor is not happy about this. And so he ba- he gets himself and Cinder captured by Carlax, who's got it out for the Doctor. Carlax is a big suck-up to Rassilon, and will do just about anything to get on Rassilon's good side, which usually means getting in the Doctor's way. Um, <laughs> Carlax, uh, did, what did you feel about him as a character. I, you know, again, as, as much of a suck-up and a little toad is, I kind of <laughs> liked him. <laughs> I know. I know. It, he's He was interesting. He was definitely one of the more interesting characters in, in the book. Uh, Cinder, of course, you know, is pretty high up there because she's the, the, the new companion, but other than Cinder and the Doctor, it probably Carlax was the most interesting and most fleshed out of the characters uh, in this book. Uh, a pain in the a pain in the butt, but to deal with, but really, really kind of fun to see him uh, yeah, get in the way. Foil almost, uh, right? To, you know, because you know you don't expect you know the kind of smart ass quips out of Asalon and. That you look at like um, the Castellan and then the Five Doctors or not Five Doctors it was um, Invasion of Time. I'm sorry, <laughs> get, get, getting my girlfriend stories mixed up here. Um, but then again, and then looking to like Vancell and Big Finish, and I think Carlyx definitely provided that um, that there needed to be. There needed to be that character that everybody related to. It's like, oh god, shut up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody liked him. Nobody liked no. him. No. And, and, and he was okay with that for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he, he enjoyed being an asshole. <laughs> yes, yes he did. Uh, of course, you know, the, the Rassilon sends the tear off with his fleet to go destroy the Tantalus Eye, blah, blah, blah. The Doctor and Cinder manage to escape and steal the TARDIS back in order to stop 
the tear from reaching Moldox. And Rassilon sends Carlax after the Doctor. Because, you know, Carlax is the one that he can trust to uh, <laughs> to always get in the Doctor's way. Um, to do his dirty work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but of course, the Doctor manages to hijack the, <laughs> the lead battle TARDIS and throws the the tear into the last sun burning at the end of the universe um, in order to to save uh, Moldox and the rest of the planets there. He just now has to figure out a way to stop the Daleks. Because they're building a giant temporal cannon, lining it up with a bunch of moons, to shoot at Gallifrey and wipe Gallifrey out of history forever because yeah because <laughs> I mean you, you have to have some sort of doomsday super weapon uh, with the Daleks right? <laughs> right right and, and it's, it's not a Dalek story without you know some kind of planet destroying engine thingy right <laughs> right Right, whether or not you're trying to move Earth from one place to another, you know they did that twice, um, or blow something up. It, it, they've they've got Daleks may not be supposed to have uh, a lot of emotions, but they definitely have delusions of grandeur, um, as we see with uh, what are they called the the little council here that they have. Uh, the, the, the oh, I've got it written down. The, <laughs> like, eter- uh, the Eternity Circle. Thank you. Thank the you. Eternity Circle, which is this group of five blue and silver Daleks, who are you know their one task is to research and develop temporal weapons to help the Daleks win the t- Great Time War. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the the prelude, I think, to probably the Cult of Scarrow. Probably. Probably. They're, they're not quite as individualistic as the Cult of Scarrow is, not quite as imaginative, but they're not quite as, you know, pardon the horrible pun, robotic, as your standard <laughs> Dalek is. Um, no. Because, you know, they, they, they do end up capturing the doctor uh, at one point and decide that basically he is going to be the predator Dalek. They've got this giant Dalek suit and he's supposed to go in it because <laughs> if if the the great Dalek hunter was turned and used by the Daleks they would be unstoppable, you know or something to that effect. Weird. Uh, yeah, that 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 was one thing that didn't quite make sense to me. But was, I, and then they call him the Predator and stuff. And I'm, I've heard that before somewhere with, within the Who Canon, but I can't remember what it was. But it, but it just struck me as a little odd. It's like, are the Daleks just stupid or? <laughs> Because it's like, they, they 
know that eventually he's gonna find a way out of this. So you would you would think that they would have just said, okay, we just need to kill him instead of using him to advantage because all things are gonna just go to shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Um. <laughs> of course, they they do manage to escape a little bit, and I, I'm not giving out all the details here, but uh, the Doctor has gone back to the Death Zone, retrieved Barusa and his contraption that he's wired into. Uh, is, is it just me, or or did you imagine, I kind of imagine this thing that Barusa's hung up in is almost like the thing that the Eighth Doctor is in at the end of the uh, TV movie. <laughs> Oh, now that you mention it, I can see that a little bit, but I think I had this idea that (laughs) in my head, and I I knew this wasn't what they were describing, but in my head, it was this sort of like, uh, almost like metal fan, that giant metal fan that he was, you know, hooked up on like it was a, like he was a scarecrow and they were wheeling him around on like a dolly. You know, I know that's yeah, not like what... like a um, like a water like the, the um, about water they use like on the bayous and stuff. Like I can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, one of those things. One of those things. But but yeah, he's wired into this contraption uh, that's supposed to help him. That's supposed to keep him in this constant state of regeneration and flux, so he can see all the possibilities. Um, Carlax, of course, gets in the way. He gets himself hurt enough so that he's regenerated and mad enough that he wants to shoot the doctor. Uh, And, of course, the doctor is getting ready to basically win the day here and try and set everything right. And Carlax is going to kill the doctor. And guess who has to uh, save the doctor's life? At the expense <sighs> of her own. Yep. Cinder. See, yep. I was I was kind of hoping that they were going to keep her alive and have at least one more story with the two of them. You know, what? but it, but it was a time war, a time war novel, and I and I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. What <It's>... is? <sighs> but yeah. What did you think? Because obviously, as she's you know been shot and she's dying, the doctor dematerializes the TARDIS from the inside the Dalek command ship, but he leaves Carlax standing there. He he dematerializes the TARDIS around Carlax, and just leaves. <gasps> leaves Carlax standing there in the, the Dalek command ship with the Eternity Circle. And and I think that that is one moment where he definitely came to one of the points that I think probably later on that the Ninth Doctor would, you know, would regret, regret I mm-hmm. think. Um, but that that was more of wanted to see from the War Doctor in this instance, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that that no holds bar has no mercy, um, and and this is one of those moments where I go, okay, this is where McGann could have been great, and this is where McGann's doctor could have been 
might not have done that. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that happen within within Big Finish and other companions dying um, and oh, wanting dear. vengeance for that. Um, oh dear. Yes, yes. Anything involving Nick Briggs, people say, oh, Stephen Moffat, you know, so much feels. I'm like, no, Nick Briggs will tear at your heart and stamp on it. But anyway, <laughs> that I don't know. I would have liked this. Maybe he escapes, and we may see from more from him in equivalent novels that are already. But I almost wish like he would have been that foil later on that we could have had. We didn't have to get reacquainted with other characters. But we don't really get a, a full like end to him. It's just the Doctor leaves him there. Yeah, and it's like and... you kind of suspect that he's going to be killed, but at the same time, I don't know. See, I almost wondered if the Eternity Circle would have just decided to, well, the Doctor escaped, so let's stick this Time Lord in the Predator Dalek. You know? Yeah, well, and we can't get quite some... Because Daleks don't have emotion, we can't get quite so annoyed by this guy. <laughs> right? Right? But but still, see, if... If Carlax was the Predator Dalek, all he would want to do was destroy the Doctor, and I could totally see him coming after the Doctor again and again and again. <laughs> exactly. Exterminate! Exterminate! <laughs> Probably in that exact voice, too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. But, of course, the Doctor has a chance. He's got one chance here with Barusa to, to either save Cinder's life or save the Tantalus Eye and Moldox and all the other planets and he's waffling back and forth on what to do um, but he has this brief moment of clarity where he decides well Cinder sacrificed herself to give me the chance to put things right so I have to respect that. Um, and so he he uses Barusa, which is a horrible thing to say, but it's essentially what happened, to eliminate all the Daleks from this sector of space. Uh, yeah. Almost completely wipe them from history, sort of, but people will sort of remember it later when things don't quite add up as they go back home. Yeah, well, and this is... This is... One other thing that, that's always kind of completely slayed me about the Time Wars, it seems like every other species in the whole of the universe at least has some inkling and some idea of the Time War, except humans. <laughs> Like, even in the far-fledged future, we think, like, at least Earthling humans, um, because, you know, Jack has an idea of the Time War and of the Daleks and stuff, but Mm -hmm. even, like, in the far-flung future, humans have no idea about the Time Wars and and Daleks and stuff, which makes no sense to me, because the the way it's portrayed in this book and in the show, it's like, you know, it's spread all across 
us, you know, the universe, and, and it's affecting every single little species that's out there. Including the humans, but the humans are too dense to see it, or something. Exactly! You know? Exactly! It's like, some micro-amoeba at the bottom of the ocean probably understands it to some degree, but us humans are completely clueless. Right. Right. Uh, and the book ends with the the Doctor finding... Uh, Cinder's childhood homestead uh, and lays her to rest with her family that was killed when the Daleks first invaded Moldox. Uh, and the book ends with the Doctor saying, no more. You know, he's going to end the Time War. So, uh, which, of course, we, we see that him blasting no more into the wall somewhere uh, in the 50th anniversary uh, episode, you know, he, no more was kind of his mantra there. So, is this is this the beginnings of that, or or is the fiftieth anniversary special the next step? You know, <laughs> I, I I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that's that's what like it seemed to me like. Yeah, this has been. I think one point that Cinder um, kind of in her internal dialogue is talking about at least in terms of her species, the Time War had been going on for 400 years, I believe it was. Um, and therefore, kind of maybe in the other larger spectrum, probably a thousand. But they talk about the Time War going on for thousands thousands of years. And I almost get the idea, maybe because Rassilon is back, maybe it is closer to that point, that it is almost over. But the way that some of this was portrayed, I get the idea that this was almost towards more beginning-ish middle of the war. That's kind of placing it is a hard thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I could see where the Doctor is at in his in his headspace. I could see the next thing him him doing is going and getting the moment and trying to stop everything. But I could also see where there could be a lot more events and adventures that could take place between this book and the moment. Uh, exactly. And I think there's a lot more that we need to see to um, understand the time war. Cause there, there's so many things that, that like the doctor listed um, like the nightmare child. And we did, we did finally see Arcadia in the 50th, um then we and we saw the the horde of degradations in this but there and but and there's so much missing it's like okay where Ramon in the midst of all this and yes we saw Rassilon and the war and the war zone and um all the other stuff but it's like there's there was a lot missing to it i think there was a lot kind of missing in the continuity, I think, between everything, and I know that's hard to do. <laughs> I'm I'm just a, a a pedantic curmudgeon about about Canada, and every anyone who knows me <laughs> knows that I am like that. Um, and then that's kind of where that goes into the whole eighth doctor thing. But it's like also um, that talking about oh, what was it called? Um, well, one of the devices was essentially a 
stellar manipulator, which we see, I don't believe we see it in the show. Um, maybe, I think, at one point during Trial of a Time Lord. Um, but I know that mm. it's in um, the Big Fetish stuff, and it's just, I, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I have mixed feelings. It's great to have the information. Right. But, but I just wasn't getting a whole lot. I think that Again, the War Doctor lacks that depth and that, I think, ability for the audience to grasp onto him to say, okay, this is my Doctor for the audience. To me, that's not his purpose. I I don't know. Right. Well, the other thing with that is he's basically had, uh, you know, he showed up in the last two seconds of, of you know, the the episode right before the 50th uh, and he name was in of the, the doctor, 50th, yeah. yeah name of the doctor and then he was in the 50th anniversary special and then he's been in this and that's kind of it so he's still you know if, if we want to look at him as a new doctor a new regeneration he's still basically only had two episodes for us to get used to him uh so you know may, maybe he'll get more depth if they continue to write stories or maybe do big finish stories with him uh but you know i yeah. don't know yeah i i think that um because the big finish has gotten licenses to do stuff for the new series now mm-hmm. um i think definitely once he gets turned over to big finish and nick and the other guys who know what they're doing um that def- definitely <laughs> Um, definitely things will pick up with him, I think. Um, yeah. Again, again, like I said, it made me a little bit more tolerant of the War Doctor. Is it may, is it completely turned me around and I wasn't picturing the Eighth Doctor through this? No. I, it's made him a little bit more tolerant, but, you know. Right. Right. So, at the end of this book, who was more the villain of this book? The Time Lords or the Daleks? <sighs> <laughs> because, Honestly, because... I think it's the Time Lords, because even... even with, with the exception of a couple of stories, I think once you got to probably Davis and Colin Baker's McCoy era, they almost became just a thing of consequence. That they were kind of there just to, you know, move the story along or to add meat to the plot. That they weren't really that threatening. That you knew that one way or another they were going to be defeated or blah, blah, blah. The Time Lords, though, I think this breathed a lot into... For those who aren't familiar with the Time Lords and stuff, and just how screwed up they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and how screwed up Rassel is and all real stuff they've done. It really opens up the eyes for those kind of people and says, okay, the Time Lords really were not everything that made... Don't idolize the Time Lords, basically. Right, right. Uh, especially with Rassilon back here, you know, leading leading the charge here for the, the Great Time War. The Time Lords have uh, 
basically ceased being the observers uh, of time to, well, let's use time to, you know, keep us around. You know, our survival is preeminent to anything else, and we have the ability to manipulate time to do that, and anybody else who happens to get caught in the middle of it be be damned because uh, our survival is paramount. They're exactly. I mean... That's kind yeah. of always been the mantra of Rassilon. Yeah. Um, just just wiki him, people, and you will understand. <laughs> Rassilon is not a nice man. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was really weird because uh, I... I, I'm not as nearly as well versed in, in Gallifreyan history as you are, uh, but I, I've watched a lot of the the story, the classic Who stories that would have led up into this, uh, and some of the other, obviously all the the new stuff that we've seen Time Lords come into. Uh, but I I anticipated at least more of the Time Lords being a little bit a little bit more like the Doctor. Then all of them sort of just being sheep in Rassilon's herd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, we, the Castellan kind of came around at the end to help the Doctor escape, uh, and we probably get the implication that he's probably not Castellan anymore. Um, <laughs> after that <laughs> indiscretion. Uh, I think that's, that is essentially the role of the Castellan, even classic series, big finish, you know, in in this book, that is kind of the role of the Castellan, but it just be the shape, basically, right. of of the president and do their bidding. It's essentially, you know, like the president's chief of staff, right? Um, but that um, definitely, I think this, and even. So conflicted as to what we saw in the fiftieth with the War Council or, or whatever it was called, as compared to the High Council with Rassel and stuff being just totally and truly evil. Where they're going, okay, we still need to fight. We need to figure out what to do. And then, of course, the Doctor comes in and steals the moment. Blah blah blah. But <laughs> there, there, there are those Time Lords out there. I just don't think we're seeing enough of them. Right, at least not at this point. Uh, the uh, this is why I, as we're talking, this is why I think maybe this book takes place earlier in the time war uh, because we've yet to see that that split start happening between Rassilon and his High Council and the more level-headed War Council that we or whatever they're called uh, that we saw on the fiftieth. Where you know who the doctor contacts and says, "I'm going to save Gallifrey," and you know all the Tardises do their magical you know spinny ball thing, and poof, Gallifrey's gone. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's <sighs> got to catch them all. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> The doctor essentially had a Pokeball and he stuck Gallifrey in it. Um, yeah, basically. Basically. <laughs> I never, like, quite made that connection 
completely I'm like that a, until I'm not now. A Pokemon fan, but what I know, uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Oh my goodness! But yeah, we 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 still haven't quite seen that split start happening in the the Time Lord hierarchy. So this is why I think maybe this book takes place a little bit before the end of the Time War. Um, but yeah, all right. Did you have anything else about this book that you wanted to to talk about or bring up? Um, well, I definitely, um, did you see that, you know, Rasslon is trying to get the Doctor to find and bring back the Master, which is definitely going to play into, um, his resurrection <laughs> later on. Um, and again, this could be, you know, close to the end of the war or... Blah blah blah. This this could be um, before Jacoby slash Sin Master. This could be in between Seven Missy Master. We don't know. Hopefully, it's not Eric Roberts Master. <laughs> <laughs> I always dress for the occasion. Uh, I always dress for the occasion. <laughs> you did that a little too well. Uh, I saw the clip online somewhere like two days ago so I had that fresh <laughs> in my head so um, oh my gosh um, but but yeah oh man I wish uh, I wish we had Derek J- Jacoby Jacoby however you pronounce his last name as the master for more than five minutes I, if if you want to hear more of Derek Jacoby um, as the master scream at the Shalka it's uh, <laughs> some people can it is canon a lot of us don't but and Richard E. Grant is the doctor and it's it's just complete crack for an hour is all it <laughs> is <laughs> and is that one of the that, that weird sort of animated thing that yeah, I keep seeing at yeah, Barnes and Noble it's a little strange I will admit that but it's so like they deliberately amped up the shippiness between the doctor and the master and is so brilliant. <laughs> Weirdness. <laughs> awesome. It's but, Doctor Who, it's gonna be weird. Yes, of course. It, it would not be Doctor Who if there wasn't some sort of weirdness. Um, <laughs> um, um one of the, one of the things I do bring it back to the book. Sorry, sure. <laughs> Going on Go ahead. tangents, um, but the to the tear of Aisha um, is the the one that's the cell manipulator. Could remember the name of it. Yes. Um, but that that's essentially what that is. I think um, those who are familiar with that, I, again, I think it was mentioned at least in T- Trial of the Time Lord. If not, go to about the second and third seasons of. Um, the Eighth Doctor adventure with Lucy Miller, and it'll make sense. You know, it's basically how Morbius comes back. Ooh, stellar manipulator, Morbius. Yikes. Okay, Mor- Morbius was a weirdie. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, and folks, I, you should probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but. We're throwing around references like it's our job because, well, this book is chock full of references, 
Um, and if you have no idea what we're talking about, listen to this episode while sitting in front of the TARDIS wiki. So you can just yes. type everything in. <laughs> and it, it's, it's definitely not a book for someone who hasn't seen at least one or two serials from the classic series that take place on Gallifrey. Yeah. Yeah. You will be completely lost. And I guess this sort of is a nice transition into, uh, would you recommend this book to fellow Whovians? Uh, and if so, you know, what, what sort of rating would you give it? Uh, out of, out of 10 Daleks, how many Daleks (laughs) would you, would you rate this book? (laughs) Um, I'd say probably rating probably seven or eight Daleks, definitely for for Carlax and, and for the characterizations of characters like Cinder and, and more of Rassilon and more of Gallifrey and you know, the nerd spectrum of that. I think there needs to be more to it. You know, be prepared that it does drag in places. Be patient. Just kind of push through Moldocks. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely give it a read if you can. Yeah, definitely. And, and as Molly was saying earlier, you should either, at, at the very least, read up on some of the uh, classic Doctor serials that take place on Gallifrey, if not watch them, and things will start making a lot more sense, and a lot of the references that are in this book will be like, aha, I know what you're referencing. Um, <laughs> um, and I will say that for the audiobook, it's actually one of the few that was not abridged and condensed down to a couple of hours on a couple of discs. That it's a full seven-disc audio narrated by Nick Briggs with the voice modulator doing the voice of the Daleks and stuff. It's nice. it's really great. Nice. That's cool. Um, but I think I think overall. There, there were points of this book that I was like, this is a, such a great book. And then there were other points where I was like, it's all right. I think I like this. You know, uh, it it's definitely has its up and ups and downs. But definitely once we got to Gallifrey, I was like, oh, I know that reference. And I know that reference. And this is so cool over there. And that's kind of Barusa. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was kind of my response going through Gallifrey. So... <laughs> That was a that was a sad attempt at a Scooby Doo Barusa. Barusa. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh wow. But I, I think overall, I think I'd I'd rate this book a solid seven. Uh, yeah. Overall, uh, it it's a it's a good book. It sort of gives you a, a little bit of an expanded look at the War Doctor. And sort of where his headspace is going into the 50th anniversary special. So I think it would be kind of cool if you read this book and then followed that up by watching the 50th anniversary. Because uh, then things, some of his reasonings make a little bit more sense. Uh, you know, but yeah, I think solid seven Daleks out of ten. Uh would be what I would rate this book. I definitely recommend it, though. So, um, anything else you want to say in the book before we start wrapping up this show, Molly? I, I you know, I, I'm good on it. You know, I, 
it's definitely if if you're one of those people like me that say bollocks John Hurt, you know, you, you're gonna be sitting there. It's Paul McGann. It's Paul McGann. But if you're normal, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, all right. Uh, before we wrap up this this podcast. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about Arizona TARDIS and your involvement with that? And uh, if they want to, if they live in Arizona, how they can find more information about that? Yeah, and, it's, and we're not exclusively limited to Arizona, too. We've got members all across the country. Um, essentially, we were started back at Phoenix Comic Con 2012, um, essentially created to have a club for Doctor Who fans and raise money for a good cause at the same time. Our two causes are the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Funds. All of our proceeds go to charity. Um, that Our big events during the year are Phoenix Comic Con, uh, Tucson Comic Con, that we do different stuff in between, like a couple of weeks ago, our Phoenix group was up at Samurai Comics doing the Doctor Who Day. Um, down here in Tucson, um, we will be at the Elcon Century Theater on September 15th doing the Dark Water Death in Heaven screenings, and that at Canon Crown uh, Pub and Restaurant the 17th for Geeks Who Drink Doctor Who Pub Quiz. Come out and have fun with us. Probably going to have a costume contest. You know, and like I said, it's it's just become a huge community for the rest of us. And we'd love for you to come out. Come help us out. Come have a great time. You know, I've, I've met some of my best friends through this group. And being able to do charity at the same time and do some good out there, it's it's a good thing. Yes, yes, and I, I do have to say one of my favorite things at Phoenix Comic Con earlier this year was going up and being able to walk through the TARDIS that you guys had to your little booth area uh, because it, you know they for those who uh, who want to see pictures I think we've got some up on our Facebook page and I'll give you the link for that here in a second um, but they basically had the Arizona TARDIS uh, area walled off with the these blue curtains and in one corner of the the area sat the TARDIS with its doors wide open and you would walk through the TARDIS to go in and there right there in the middle was the console and then they had all their props and all their cool stuff and everything that you could take pictures of uh hanging out around there and it was it was almost like you were walking into the TARDIS it was uh, yeah, really fun yeah we've got um at least two um, sometimes three working Daleks. Um, we've also got another one of the special weapons Daleks that is on loan from us from Paul Bradford. Um, you know, we've got a full console at Phoenix Comic Con and at Phoenix Comic Con Fan Fest. We do photo ops with backdrop from the classic series um, console and. It's just it's just a good time. Come out and join us. You know, stick on a cyberhead. Our our leader Duncan. He was he was running around in his Judge Dread gear towards the end of the day Saturday. And at one point he was tired and he was sitting at the corner of 
TARDIS, and he just sticks the cyber head on, and so he was Cyber Dread. <laughs> That's um, great. Yeah, so so if you want to check us out, check us out at facebook.com slash ACTARDIS. Excellent. Excellent. And if you want to check out more information about Talking Time Lords, you can visit us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter is at Talking Time Lord because one more Talking Time Lords was one character too many. Um, <laughs> you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com and our website, of course, which is the home for everything Talking Time Lords, is TalkingTimeLords.com. Pretty self-explanatory there. So, uh, thank you, thank you so much, Molly, for for joining me on this episode and filling in for Paul while he's in the midst of stressful moving situation. Uh, well, really you appreciate for having it. me. Awesome. Thank you for well, having me on. You're very, very welcome, and I, I'm sure this will not be the last time we have you on the show. Maybe next time Paul will be here too. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. That wraps up this episode of Talking Time Lords. It's been episode number 13, Engines of War book review. For Molly, I'm Jason. And until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.